Welcome to the 17th episode of the No Degree Podcast. This is your host, Janaid Iqbal, and today's guest is Saki Litov. Saki is a board-certified patient advocate. He helps people navigate medical issues and understand their doctors and the options available to them. Learn about how he got into this career and what things helped him break into this field. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show is impossible without you. Let's get the show started. Welcome to the No Degree Podcast. Today we have Saki Litov, and I'll let him do the honors of introducing himself. Hi, I ask people to call me Saki. My name is actually Safi, which is a Hebrew name, and no one can say it, and I don't make people do it. So Saki it is, like the rice wine. Okay. So what do you do? So I am an um, independent patient advocate. I work with, uh, my clients are people who are struggling with a challenging diagnosis and really at uh, wit's end in terms of understanding how to navigate the health system. Okay. So you're not a doctor. So which area do you sort of help them in the actual billing, understanding what they need? So how does that work? That, that's a great question. I am, um, I married the doctor that my mom always wanted me to be. How's that? So, and, and I'm not a medical practitioner. Um, I have a history in medicine. I was a medic in the military many years ago. I was a massage therapist, but I found that what I do well is interactions with people and setting up systems. Really what I'm doing is I'm helping people interface with their medical practitioners, helping them understand what's going on. I mean, think about the last time you were at a doctor for something relatively serious. And did you understand everything coming at you? Usually we don't. So I'm the second set of ears. Because I've got experience, I can make notes, I can write things down. I go back after a visit and I say, okay, this is what he meant when he said this. And I help people make great, better decisions for their health. Medical translate, you're translating for them. In a way, I'm doing a lot of things. I'm translating. I help people pull together their medical records. Often, the person I'm actually working for, if you will, is a relative of the patient. So I have clients who hire me to help their kids because they don't live in the same place or they're somebody who has a a challenging diagnosis and and they don't have time to spend all their time at, at a hospital or specialist office. Um, nor do they have the knowledge. Nor do they have the knowledge. That's exactly right. And um, I'm also hired by people who have aging parents who are going through transitions. So a lot of times an aging parent may go into the hospital for some something. It could even be routine. But then it's that transition from the hospital to, especially if it's a rehab facility, if there's a step in between potentially going home or even going to like a long-term care facility, uh, assisted living or something like that. So I can make those transitions easier. Okay, that's awesome. So Saki, how'd you get into this field? Where'd you start? You know, it's an interesting question. How do we ever get to where we are in life, right? My path is um, is really non-linear. I, I've always been a caregiver. I've always been the person in my family who people reached out to for help 
when they were going through some sort of challenging situation. So I think it's kind of been, you know, my my place in life in general. So it's an area, it's a place uncomfortable. I was a medic in the military, you know, 30 some years ago and loved doing that because I was helping people. And I don't mind the stress and I don't mind the confrontation. But life has its way of, you know, taking you along. And I, I spent a number of years doing, you know, different things. When I met my wife, who uh, is a naturopathic physician, she does holistic healthcare. She and I started a medical practice together. And I was at the time a massage therapist. I'd gotten, you know, um, training and I was licensed. And I found that I hated it. I hated it. Oh my gosh. I was like, I, so imagine if you've ever had a massage and somebody's working on you and, you know, they're rubbing your neck or they're rubbing your back. It would put me to sleep. You know, we've got the really quiet music going on and, and my eyes are rolling into the back of my head and I, nobody wants that. But I loved setting up the systems for the office. I loved the interactions with patients and clients and how do we make it so that, you know, when somebody calls, they can find us and marketing. And that's really what I started to do. And I, I started to organize my wife's office. So that took me basically into healthcare administration. And that's what I did for 25 years, running her practice in a myriad of different places. I was also the clinic director for a mental health clinic that is a national organization with um, offices around the country. And I also, I love that. About a year ago, my wife said to me, hey, there's this thing called patient advocacy and they're having a test. And I think that, the you know, this seems like it's right up your alley. Lights went off and, and you know, I was like, why, why did I not think of this sooner? So I sat for this exam and I hate taking tests. I'm not a good student, but it was all natural. I passed this exam with no problem. I'm now a board certified patient advocate. For the first time, I actually have letters after my name. And, and it launched me into doing what I'm doing now, which is patient advocacy. And so now I'm building a practice, which is brand new, um, with my wife for, you know, helping people navigate the health system. The test, how'd you prepare for the test? Can anybody take it? And you mentioned you also worked in administration. So I know you don't have a college degree. Did not having it sort of make it harder? How'd you navigate that scenario? It's a great point. It's probably the main thing in my life that I'm constantly struggling with, not negatively necessarily, but is this lack of a degree. As in a, for the certification exam, I did what I normally do. I kind of reviewed as best as I could. They provided study guides, but I found that all the information in this exam was what I have gained in experience in the last 30 years. The general questions were no-brainers for me. I do know I have colleagues who have talked about the fact that they really struggled with the exam. Um, that was not the case for me. And I don't want to minimize it, but you know, the reality is I, I, I didn't do a lot because I knew that my experience spoke directly to what they were looking for, which is the same thing in my background for healthcare administration. So I have two certificates. I have a, uh, a certificate in leadership, executive leadership, which is something that I did 
during a stint that I was the executive director of a synagogue in Seattle. I got that gig after completing a certificate in nonprofit management, which was a year-long program. It gave me credentials, for lack of a better term, to allow me to do what I do really well already, which is interact with people, be a leader of teams, a builder of teams. I'm good with numbers. I'm good with systems. I enjoy marketing. Um, I often say to people that, that I thrive in an environment where I'm doing something different every day. And that's been my life. You have that nonlinear path. What were some things that helped you sort of be successful in the line linear path? Because a lot of times when it's nonlinear, there are a lot of things that come at your way and you have to have a certain personality. You have to be able to navigate certain things or else it's not going to work. No, that, and, that, and that's totally true. You know, I think that the nonlinear path is not for everybody. I think that it's important that people choose it wisely. Not everybody chooses it. Sometimes it falls in your lap. But if you're considering choosing it, I think your point about really making that wise decision, you know, spending a lot of time these days on LinkedIn and lots of people talk about entrepreneurship and is it the right, is it right for everybody? And the reality is, is it's not. And a nonlinear path is not the right thing for everybody. So when you're starting out, you know, if you want to take a nonlinear path, you just got to know it's hard. You're going to get thrown tons of curveballs. If you're not comfortable rolling with it, then, you know, it's better to choose maybe a different path. And you, anybody can do this. I mean, so I have two boys, 24 and 21. The one thing that I drilled into them from a young age is like, get a college degree. Get a college. I, I don't care what you get it in. Get a college degree. Study underwater basket weaving. As long as it gives you a BA after your name, you'll qualify for that basic level of screening that most companies are looking for today, especially with computerized. You can't apply for a job today without having to go online. Of course, what do you think they did? You think go. No, it's not. Like, you know, and who am I? Why would I be upset? Like, so my younger son is an artist. He's a dancer and he's a musician and he's struggling, but he's choosing it. And he's, he's good at it. He's gifted at anything he does. The reality, he's, he knows he's chosen a harder path, but it makes him happy. And, and my older son is a tech guy. He is one of these kids, like, so couldn't relate. Um, he's much more like my wife and the younger ones like me, but he spent his summers in, you know, middle school and high school studying robotics and learning computer languages. And he tried the, the college route, but it didn't work. So he got a job working for an aerospace company at the age of 20. The company that designs, builds, and installs robotic assembly lines for Boeing and um, Lockheed Martin, that kind of stuff. After two months there as an intern, he had his own intern because he was doing work at a level on just because he was like thriving and moving along. So he uh, he recently started working for um, AWS uh, and Amazon Web Services. Again, great environment for him. So he is off and running. And he had great proof that, again, 
you don't need a traditional background to be successful. What were some struggles you faced? Right, because you had a lot of success, and everybody that has had a lot of success has had those struggles, those tough times, those times where they really questioned what they do, why they got into it. So, what was that like for you? It's funny. It's it's part of my life. I I can't say that there um, there are definitely defining moments that move you in one direction or another. As a rule, I feel like I chosen this path because I feel like I can, and because I've felt from a young age that it was the right path for me. Because of it, even though it's been incredibly challenging, it's allowed me to do incredible things in my life. And I feel blessed. Every, everything that I do adds to you know creating the complexity of who I am. And that's something I'm, I pride myself on, is that you know I, all my different experiences have helped me become who I am today, which is something I'm comfortable with. So someone in your line of work, what do they have to really understand? Like who does well in your kind of work and who sort of you see they come in and they're out. You look at them, and you're like, all right, you only got six. This person only got six months. He only got a year or he or she before they're out. I'm in a field that is relatively new. Hey, patient advocacy as a profession. Okay. Patient advocacy is, is kind of like a no brainer. It's, I, I can't think of a good analogy, but I'll have to come up with one because I think that this is, this is a great way to describe it. Patient advocacy is something just people do. Everybody has had in their life someone that they know has struggled with some sort of medical issue, hit by a bus, God forbid, or somebody has cancer or the family rallies around them. And what are they doing? They're advocating for their parent, child, themselves, fill in the blank. The challenge is that our, our healthcare system has gotten so effing complex that it's overwhelming. Today, people are crushed by the system. Who's going to be successful in this? Well, anyone can do it. Anyone. So right now, and I probably shouldn't be saying this on this, but I think it's it's fair. The board certification that I just took is still new. So they're still trying to figure out what are the basic baseline parameters that they want to have for someone entering the field. Okay. Is it more important that the person be a medical practitioner with a medical background? Or is it more important that they have an experience? Life experience, business experience. I would argue that it's actually the business side and having the affinity for being a people person that is going to lead to people being successful. So in other words, the, um, the field is, I would say, a majority of nurses. There's a lot of physicians who are getting into it. And all of them offer incredible value. That said, they're only going to be successful in the field if they can make a business out of it. We have to make money at this. That's where I'm having a great time. Because I feel like I tell people my services shouldn't be necessary. People shouldn't have to pay me for, for what I do for people. That said, the reality is I have to make a living and people need help. So what I do in general, the way I feel like I'm marketing is I'm providing as much content as possible so that anyone can come to my website, 
and have access to tons of free resources or have ideas and thoughts of things that they can do to help their loved one who is driving them to seek out the services of a patient advocate. In that way, when someone is able to afford my services, they'll reach out and I'm there for them. What would you suggest as the way to become you? So someone doesn't have a college degree, let's say they're 18, what would you recommend? Because can someone become a patient advocate that young or they, it's better if they go do certain things, maybe work in a medical office, work in a hospital, learn insurance, learn law. So what's the path you would suggest for someone who's not doesn't come from the nursing or the traditional medical background? And I would say that I had this, I just had this great analogy. So um, I am Jewish. Judaism, there is this concept that a lot of people have heard about called Kabbalah, which is mysticism. Okay. And a lot of celebrities are really into it. And and it's a whole kind of field unto itself. But what I love about Kabbalah and the concept is that the idea is that you, you're not supposed to begin studying Kabbalah until you're in your 40s. Because you need to be and have a certain amount of life experience to be able to, to do that. And I would actually liken what I do, patient advocacy, to that. It's not a field for somebody young to get into. It's not a path that I would encourage anybody to pursue because it's something that you may get to at some point once you have done other things. If this were a goal, I don't think that there's a straight path. I think going, um, starting your own business um, is a great way to learn a lot of life skills. Learning a trade. You know, today, trades, people who um, so had a stint as a contractor, if you will, project manager for a high-end kitchen and bath remodeling company. So I worked a lot with um, plumbers and electricians and, you know, people who do drywall. There's a lot of skilled tradesmen. Somebody who today decides, a young person who wants to just make money and they're not sure how to do it, go into a trade and become an electrician or a you know, drywall or a painter. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to write your own ticket at a certain amount of time. If you start young by your 20s, 30s, you start making six figures, like, like no problem. Which one of those careers would you feel would sort of lead into this? So if someone has, hey, I want to eventually do what you do, what routes do you feel are more conducive to becoming what you did? I'm in healthcare. If healthcare is what you want to do, then there's lots of things that you can do in healthcare that um, that are easier to step into. If it's from a treatment perspective, healthcare is one of these fields where you really can't find a position that didn't take some sort of training. You know, you're you're dealing with people's lives. I personally, if I'm in a hospital, I like to know that the person cleaning me up at least had some training to know that they should do this or shouldn't do that. There's, you know, there's um, uh, medical assistance or I think like a one-year program that, that somebody can do to learn the basics. Um, there's a lot, a lot of uh, trade schools have a really great medical technology program. So you could become a transcription person, right? Um, you can become a medical biller. There's a lot of things in medicine that, could lead you in this direction. I'm a hands-on person. 
So I wanted to do something. I did my military service overseas. So when I came back to the U.S., I wanted to become a paramedic. They wouldn't allow me to use my combat medic experience to take an exam or pass anything. So no, you got to start over and go to school. And I'm like, yeah, that's not for me. So I didn't. But, you know, you become a paramedic. Like becoming a paramedic is a great path to, to be connecting with people. If you like the adrenaline, like, you know, I think that if, uh, if I were to probably do it all over and could have made different choices, I probably would have, you know, tried to pursue that a little more because I like the adrenaline. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a very interesting job. So let's go back to your massage therapist. How long did you do that for? This course I studied for is one of the more rigorous courses that exist. And I don't actually think it even exists anymore. It was a year-long program. I immediately went into practice afterwards with my wife. And then I told you how that turned out. I found out that I hated it. Um, but I liked the administrative side of it. I stopped doing massage therapy pretty soon after I started, you know, maybe six months. Because I found that it wasn't the right thing for me. And, and I think that that's one of those things where it's hard to do. You know, I think that my wife likes to say that uh, I will hang on to things longer than she would prefer because I'm unwilling to give up. And a, a good example is before you, you called in, I'm struggling. So we're setting up a new business. What do I like doing? Setting up businesses. So I'm, I'm loving setting up the technology and the systems and the administrative pieces. And I'm really struggling to find a phone system to set up for us. Uh, it's got to be HIPAA compliant. There's all these things that it needs. And I'm just banging my head against the table and, and really struggling with this. And she's like, okay, we just need to move on. I'm like, no, we can't just move on. I'm, I'm going to try to make this work. And I'm going to give it my best shot to make this work before I like, am willing to say, okay, I wasn't able to do it that way. Let's do it this way. So even with my massage, I studied for a year, right? You know, and I finished a program, which for me is a big deal, and then found out that it wasn't right for me. But at the same time in that process, I found what was right for me and what I do enjoy doing. I think being, it's, it's a matter a lot of it's being open to the universe, to saying maybe God's sending you a message in a way that you wouldn't have expected but that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to it. No, I, li I like that because the universe always sends a lot of messages and it's always good to kind of step back and see what's right for you. You mentioned being a people person. Can you describe that a little more and how it's specifically helpful to what you do? I have experience in the corporate world and I've had to develop my skill sets to translate into that. So I, I have what they call high emotional intelligence. I can read people pretty comfortably and gauge how somebody's responding or reacting in a certain way. And I think that that's, those are the qualities of somebody who is in a field that is constantly people focused. It's, these are the skills, the skills that I am best at are what they call soft skills. They're not generally the things that you can teach, although you can teach them but they're not what you would learn in school, right? And so I, I have always embraced this idea that regardless of whether you're on a path to study medicine or the real learning starts when you're done. 
not in the process of learning, the the things that you're going to really implement and really put into place only begin when when you are finished that studies and you put it aside and now you're putting it into practice. Did you always have emotional intelligence? How did you develop this skill? I think it's something that, yeah, I think I've just always had it. I think it, it has something to do with, you know, what he mentioned earlier is that, that I've always played the, the role of caregiver in my family. Why is it that people turn to me? In fact, I can remember as a kid, I always had crushes on girls that, you know, that I liked. And all they wanted to do was talk to me about their boyfriends. Right. I was the one that they turned to and I had to have these crushes. On. And so, of course, I spent time listening to them because I wanted to be with them. But they saw me as the person that was easy to talk to and the, the friend that they had that, you know, they could turn to to talk about their butt of a boyfriend who was treating them poorly. It's one of those things that I, I think that people who have high emotional intelligence know it. And you can learn it, but there's a lot of um, self-reflection and introspection and willingness to be self-critical that is important in that process. And so I'm super comfortable with counseling and coaching. And so I've had many years on and off, depending on you know what I'm doing in life, uh, where I've gone and, and had time with counselors. And I'm always learning more about myself. And that's, that's a key. That's always be open to learning more about yourself. And even if it's stuff you don't like, right? That's important too. You know, self-reflection is key. So it sounds like listening is a core part of the job. Totally. Listening and anticipating and also understanding. So for me, it's a mix of taking in the information that is being shared in relation to the client that I'm working with and helping them understand what are the options? So I don't make decisions for people. I help people make the best decisions for themselves. And in the medical system today, unfortunately, there's a lot of conflict of interest. And so, for example, a lot of doctors, and this is not a, um, a slam on doctors. This is a reality. A lot of physicians are paid on the basis of the things that they do when you come in. It's why specialists make significantly more money than a, a general practice or a pediatrician. But nonetheless, pediatricians will make more money if they do a procedure. Okay. So my clients come to me. If somebody is recommending a procedure, I'm going to question it. I'm going to say, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Are there other options? And they're like, well, you know, most doctors can say, well, this is what I need you to do. That's great. I appreciate that. What are the other options? What are the risks? You know, what are the other associated things? Are there other things that I could do? What if I went to another doctor and asked them this? What would they say? These are questions that most people are afraid to ask their healthcare practitioners. Nobody wants to question their doctor. Their doctor has you know, years of experience and know better than you. My wife and I have an inside joke that 40,000 pediatricians can't be wrong. You know, they can. And the, just because the American Medical Association says blah doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right thing for everybody. I'm going to help people bring in information, 
gather those resources, and then make a decision based on that. Yeah, because I know the American Medical Association always goes back, hey, 10 years ago, they used to say this, now it changes. So it's always good to kind of... Look, sometimes you have to listen to them, sometimes you don't, but it's always good to have someone who can give a deeper perspective. And help you avoid being afraid. People yeah. tend to get into fear modes. So that's another thing that I do is I'm, I'm constantly helping people calm down and understand that there are always choices. Okay, so you mentioned HIPAA compliance. How does that affect you and what do you have to specifically worry about take into account? It's a an incredibly complicated question. And this is one of the challenges with our medical system. HIPAA, the Health Information Portability Access Act, I can't remember the, last, the two A's, was developed in theory to protect our medical information. The reality is, is it was put through for insurance companies and hospitals. It doesn't help you and me. What it does is it limits the access that people can have to medical information by law. If you're in the hospital and you have a life partner that you're not married to and they come in and they ask and you're, let's say you're unconscious and they want to see you, you can be held back from not being able to see them because of HIPAA. And if you haven't put into place the right things, so that's another thing that I do is two forms that, that my clients sign early on are a HIPAA authorization allowing me to talk to any of their medical practitioners as well as family members. So I have a form that, that you list, okay, here are the people who I think are going to be relevant in my family or friends. And this is the paper signing that I'm signing, giving you Saki authorization to talk with them. And the first thing anybody asks me is, who said you could talk to them? I'm like, okay, so tell me, give me your fax number, and I'm happy to fax you the signed HIPAA forms showing you that I have authorization to you know, talk to you on behalf of this person. But HIPAA compliance is in relation to everything, email, telephones, and the laws are ridiculously complicated. That's actually one of those things where um, I have respect for people who really understand this. I have colleagues whose focus is really HIPAA, and, in, and I would even relate that to insurance, right? Dealing with insurance is also a gift. There's a lot of patience that has to go into it, and you're dealing with forms and rules, and you, you had mentioned, you know, helping with insurance or getting bills paid. Interestingly, that is something many patient advocates do. And I will refer my clients to experts because that's not me. Like that's not the area in which I have, I can be influential. I could, but it's kind of like massage for me. Not what I want to do. Are you falling asleep? No. Yeah, right. Well, it, when, if I'm doing these forms and I'm having to talk to on the phone with uh, the insurance companies and, you know, the re I'm, I'm actually going to be moving away from a phone service that we just signed up for and I hate it. But the reality is the reason is they, they have crappy customer service. I can't get somebody on the phone to help me set up this account that I just set up. So I'm already paying for it. I have moved my phone numbers over and I can't get it to work. That's unacceptable in today's society. 
like we live in a society where technology only gets better. Technology is there to help us. That said, technology is always complicated. All right. It's never easy and simple, but they make it easier and easier. And the best way you can do that, have somebody people can talk to. If you don't, you run the risk. And if you look online, I mean, I won't give the company's name, but if you look online, they're being reamed in the last year. I wish I'd read this beforehand. You know, one star, one star, one star, one star. I guess you needed a phone advocate or something. I did. I did. You mentioned that you're the people person. You have to stay up to date on like HIPAA compliance. What other things do you have to really think about to be an effective patient advocate? It's important to understand the healthcare system that you're working in. A lot of patient advocates focus an area of expertise. So there's a lot of patient advocates who deal specifically with people who are dealing with cancer or specifically with people dealing with autoimmune disease because that's where their experience lies, right? And so if somebody came to me, a client looking for my services who had cancer, I would probably refer them to someone who specializes in cancer, even though I'm sure that I could be helpful to them. I'm I'm not going to be the best fit because that's not my area of expertise. Um, So I think that I need to stay up on understanding who are the right people to contact. Uh, I have a client currently who is moving between health systems, right? So he's in a short-term rehabilitation center that's not part of the same system that the facility that he would move next to is. And the medical practitioners don't necessarily talk to one another. And so my job is to really make sure that everybody's on the same page, that information is being conveyed to the people that it needs to be conveyed to. And that's part of that learning curve. How do you know who's that right person? And that just comes from experience and time, understanding you know, how to navigate anything. There's this idea that we, uh, you know, you drive, if you, if you have a routine that you're driving to work and you follow a certain path every day, most of us have, in your car, most of us have experienced arriving at your destination and not remembering how you got there. Like you didn't even remember the drive. It was so rote, right? It was muscle memory. That's a piece of understanding. Like I, I have, after lots of experience in dealing with medical systems, I've learned who to go to that will have the most influence, which actually have another interesting analogy. Um, In the military, as a medic, I served in a um, a, high retention prison. Okay, so I was a, a medic for the prisoners and living in, literally living in a penitentiary is... It's tough. It's, you know, hard for everybody involved. It's hard for inmates. It's hard for the staff. So I asked people early on, who's the person to know to make the time there the best? And you know who that was? Cooks. Okay. And so I immediately spent time fostering and developing relationships with the cooks. And the reality is it, it did. It made all the difference in the world because they know everybody and they'll give their time and extra energy to somebody who they feel is doing something for them. And that's the other thing is that it's always a two-way street. So you always have to be willing to give. If you want something, 
you have to be willing to give something. You mentioned that you refer people to other specialists. So as a patient advocate, would you say that is super beneficial to have a network of advocates? Yes, absolutely. And I and I would I would argue that there's probably very few professions that that's not the case. Anybody who I think thinks they're the best at what they do, and that may very well be true, but by having that mentality, is cutting out contact with others who do what they do is missing out. Who are other people that you would say that you should care? So the adv- other advocates are good to really know and have a good network of. Who are other people in the system that is good to know? This afternoon, I'm going to be visiting a client who's in a facility, and I picked up a box of chocolate chip cookies that I'm leaving at the nursing station. And it's going to have the sticker of uh, my company, EI Health, on it. Because the reality is that everybody is important in a healthcare system, in any system. And it's important to know and be comfortable with everybody. That's what makes my job much, much easier for people. I Because the nurses are really willing to call me. When in another instance, if I came in kind of like I own the place, um, they're like, Who, who's this? Why are they here and harshing my mellow, you know, or whatever it is. So it's easier to do that for people who are at lower levels of responsibility, if you will. But are they? Like, is, is their job any less important than the surgeon who goes in to do the surgery? Could, could the surgeon do his job if the people cleaning the operating room didn't clean it? So I think that it's... Um, Understanding that everybody is an important part of the system and respecting that is key to, I think, success anywhere, but but especially in, in my field. All right. So let's slowly start to wrap it up. What would you say is necessary for the future, right? Because healthcare is always changing. So let's say someone's considering it now. What advice would you or what would you tell them? Um, if, you know, if it's somebody who is looking to get into healthcare as a field, Follow a path that, that is, feels right for you. Do something. I think I, I, I would share this with anybody for anything. I think that it's important to choose to do something that you feel good about. Not everybody has the luxury of being able to follow their passion. And I think that there's nothing better in life than being able to do something that you love to do and have people pay you to do it. That's for a lot of people that seems unattainable. So for someone young, choose a path that you think you'll enjoy. And if you're not sure what it is, choose something. And then if it's not the right thing, you pivot, you turn, you, you know, and be open to that. Okay. No, I think that's great advice. I just want to thank you, Saki, for your time. I learned a lot because this was something I had no idea about, but it's definitely something important. You know, there were times where I dealt with insurance companies and it was like, you were talking to a brick wall and you were overwhelmed. And it's good that there are people like you who of understand how to navigate these systems or at least know how to point people in the right direction. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's again, that's I, I feel like I'm blessed to be able to do what I love to do, which is help people. So how would someone get in contact with you or your company? The best way is probably through my website, eihealthsolutions.com. Our phone numbers are on there. Um, I am super present on social media. 
So um, I'm spending the most time these days on LinkedIn. And so you can look me up on LinkedIn and it's, uh, you know, it'd be interesting. I don't know if, if you type in Saki, S-A-K-I, if it comes up, I write it in. My name is spelled T-Z-A-C-H-I and there's not many of me. So don't worry, we'll put the link to your social media handles in the podcast uh, show notes. Uh, thank you again so much. I hope you have a keep on providing value. Thank you. What you're doing is much needed. Thanks, Janiyat, and you as well. This was a pleasure, and I really appreciate and enjoy watching what you do. And keep on keeping on. I will, and you too. Thanks so much. Take care. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully, this information is valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think this show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash no degree. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at no degree podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. No degree.com. Yeah. So, you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem, we can solve them. We got this. LinkedIn insomnia. Keeps us evolving, growing and knowing, wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing and knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree. No problem, any problem we can solve LinkedIn Somnia keeps us evolving We growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going